Where are all the millionaires? My name is Chris Cooper, and after spending the last five weeks on the road, from Calgary through Atlanta to Montreal and now back to Denver, this is the biggest question I'm asking this week. Models of success are really important. Ten years ago, we didn't have Rich Froning as a model, Tommy Hackenbrook, Jason Kalipa, Camilla Blanc-Bazinet. We didn't have these people showing us, here's what's possible. In fact, when Greg Glassman originally predicted that we would see the same man deadlift 600 pounds and run a sub six minute mile, he was mocked. I remember some of those early discussions and, you know, Mel Siff's online training forum and stuff. When Greg was saying these things, making these predictions that we'd have these outstanding, almost superhuman models by 2015, a lot of strength coaches were the first ones to say, no way. CrossFit has moved the needle of what's possible. It's raised the ceiling. But CrossFit's an exercise plan. It's not a business plan. And in business, we also need models for success. So who are they? Where are they? And where's the ceiling in business? This is what I've been asking. A few weeks ago, I launched our 2016 affiliate survey to try and collect as much data as I could from people outside the Two Brain group on how well they're doing. The reason that I wanted data from non-two-brain gyms is because I already have their data. I know how they're doing, and my purpose is not to compare how gyms in our mentoring program are doing against everybody else, but to take the temperature of the community at large. I'm committed to helping gyms, especially CrossFit gyms, succeed because I believe that we have, number one, the entrepreneurial opportunity to make a difference in the North American and European economies. But I also believe that box owners have the bigger opportunity to change one life, one life only, or maybe 10, or maybe 100, or maybe even 200. Does that mean I think all micro gyms should succeed? No. I think the best ones should succeed. I think the tip of the spear who are driving this movement forward should be identified through data collection, through conversation, and copied. And that's why when we unveil the 2017 two-brain model, we're only going to make it available to about 4% of the total affiliate ownership community. Rather than trying to fight and spread the message to everybody, we're going to focus again on the tip of the spear, the people who are going to drive the whole movement forward, who are going to elevate that ceiling, and who are going to become models of success for everybody else. That's our pledge in 2017. But first, I want to bring everybody forward one giant step here, or maybe nine giant steps, by addressing some of the myths that should die by the end of 2016. I started writing about gym ownership back in 2008 when my own gym was in trouble, and that's been chronicled time after time in books and podcasts, so I'm not going to go through it here. But some of the problems that we were facing back in 2008 have been completely eradicated, thanks to open discussion among affiliate owners. And now it's time for these nine myths to go the same way. Some of the solutions to these myths are really tangible. Some of these myths are really sticky, and it's going to be hard to get your mind around a different approach. That's okay. I'm here to challenge you to ask bigger questions so that your box moves forward. And eventually, in the next year or so, we see people who are netting a million dollars from opening a gym. Last week, I published an article called 
top nine myths gym owners believe. It got a lot of response, and today I'm going to talk about these myths a little bit more in depth. But the point of the article was a plea for you to include your data and your perspective in the 2016 Affiliate Owners Survey. I'm going to reiterate that one more time. The better data we have, the better foundation we can create. We know where we're starting from. The more I can help, because I can produce a lot of content that's going to guide your box forward. I don't have to be talking about should you use an auto billing software anymore or should you be profitable because we got rid of those in the last few years. Now as I work to eradicate these nine myths, it's really important to know which ones have already been solved and where you're starting from. I need to know where the best in the industry are going, but also where the rest of the industry sits right now. So please, please, if you've enjoyed the content that I've put out over the last eight, nine years, take 10 minutes, fill out the 2016 Affiliate Owner Survey, go to twobrainbusiness.com, wait five seconds, there'll be a pop-up inviting you to participate. All right, that's five minutes of talking about myths. Now let's address each one. The first myth is that people join CrossFit for the community. This is an error of projection on our part, the gym owner or the coach. Our favorite thing about CrossFit is the community, of course, but we didn't start out that way. Nobody joins a gym thinking, I really need to make new friends. That's what online dating and stuff is for. They don't figure out that the best part of CrossFit is the community until they've been exposed to the community. In the same vein, people might not enjoy a group setting or the community on the first day. It might be overwhelming. See, people respond negatively to stress, even if it's positive stress. So when you put them in an environment where they're facing social stress, you know, a bunch of strangers, physical stress, which is, you know, I'm doing something new with my body that I haven't done for a while, and also ego stress, I'm bad at this. It's just too much for a lot of people. So assuming that exposing people to the community or putting them in a group class right off the bat is the best way to keep them long-term, that's a myth. I'm going to be talking a lot about projection myths today. So I just want to reinforce what that is. Our clients are not exactly the same as us, the box owners. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably fell in love with your first CrossFit workout. It probably killed you and you loved it. Maybe you even barfed and that made you love it more. That is not the client coming into the box today. Most of our clients are aware of CrossFit. They know the brand. They've seen it on TV. They kind of know what's expected. They have like a perception of it, but maybe they're not looking to get killed. We started CrossFit with different fitness goals than they did. We were early adopters, or at least part of the early majority. These guys are late adopters. Most of your clients coming in are very dissimilar from you. That's true of any new service or product. In the early stages of introduction, the people who are most likely to buy the product are the people like the product's creator. They see a lot of similarities. They're solving the same needs. You know, they have the same desires. But as time goes on, the client for the product becomes increasingly distant from the originator. This is something that every innovator struggles with, every founder, every CEO. They have to start responding to audiences that are more and more different from themselves. So when I say it's a projection problem, this is what I'm referring to. The things that I like are not necessarily the things that my clients like. Now, will people stay in CrossFit because of the community? I think so. And if you've done 
a survey among your own clients, they've probably cited the community as one of the top reasons for staying. Social proof. However, they don't start out that way. In over 20 years of coaching, I've never had a client come to me and say, yeah, I want to pay you $150 to $300 per month to make new friends. The second myth is that the most important number to track is how many athletes you have. Now, I'm getting close to a 1,000 free calls with affiliates, but I also participate in social media boards every single day. And when I ask somebody how their affiliate is doing, the first number they give me is not, oh, we made a profit. The first number is always, here's how many athletes we have. Now, that's great because what you're telling me is, here are 100 souls that I'm saving. Fantastic. But that tells me nothing about your business. What I want to hear is, I have 100 athletes paying an average of $150 a month with expenses of $12,000 a month and a monthly profit of $3,000. It would be wonderful to hear that on one of these calls because you can have 1,000 athletes and still go bankrupt if they're not paying enough or if you're paying way too much in expenses. So just telling me how many athletes you have or citing that as an indicator of business health is wrong. I track a lot of data for people who are doing these free calls now. There's a free gym checkup that you can do on twobrainbusiness.com. And what we do with this data is aggregate it to see you know, who's doing what. Now, the biggest problem we see when most people book this call is that they've already got plenty of members, 70 or 80, but they're not making an income. And so they think they need more members. And so they you know, want to talk about marketing, but that's not their problem. Your break-even for your membership should be around 30 to maybe 50 members. If not, you're probably starting off too big or charging too little. In effect, you're going after the wrong audience. Now, what if you're down the road? You probably already own a box. You probably already got a certain number of, of clients. It's never too late to redo the math. Okay? Don't be scared to look in the mathematical mirror and say, here's what I should be charging. Here's what I am charging. That doesn't mean you're taking action today. It just means now you know the right answer to the test. Then we can talk about how do you correct it. There are clients out there who are paying over $2,000 a month for training. Believe it or not, it's true. What if you had three of those clients? If you had three clients paying $2,000 a month and no overhead expenses, you'd be making more than the vast majority of gyms who have 100 members. Let's tip the scales back in the other direction. By the way, grandfathering rates doesn't solve the problem. It makes the problem worse. So if you are deciding to raise rates to get people closer to what they need to be paying to sustain your business, grandfathering your current members is a very bad idea. The third myth is that everyone except you is doing well. Most box owners are alphas. This is common among entrepreneurs. And it's tough for an alpha, me included, to want to admit when we're not doing well. But what is the path to doing better? It's admitting where you're weakest. And so the people that we accept into the Two Brain Mentoring Program usually say on that first call, I don't know everything. They're ready to learn. If they come in and say, well, I've got this, 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 it's going great. No, I'm not making any money, but I think I've got it all figured out. Most of the time, we won't accept them. What we're looking for here is beginner's mind. Back to the myth that everyone except you is doing well. To be honest, as an aggregate, a lot of boxes are not where they should be. 
Part of this is because we don't have models, as I said at the beginning of this podcast. Part of this is because we don't have systematic data tracking. There's nobody keeping score across the broad swath of affiliates. But partly this is also posturing. Nobody wants to say, I'm not doing well. It's a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to talk about a floor sweeper than it is to say, hey guys, I can't afford to sign another three-month lease and not make any money. So when you think that you're doing worse than everybody else, I want you to know that's not true. That most boxes, most boxes are not profitable to the level they should be. The fourth myth I want to talk about is that clients choose a gym because of its workout programming. Now, in tiny pockets in California, where the culture, you know, the, the regular populace has been exposed to CrossFit for a very long time, we're starting to see a little bit of transition between boxes where some athletes, early adopters, will switch over the programming. But for the vast majority of people listening, and unless you're in Southern California, this means you, your clients probably don't even know the word programming. Maybe they shouldn't even know the word programming. Because when you do know that there's a choice in programming, you start to think, maybe that one's better. You split your attention. And if your attention is split, then you can't put your full focus into the programming that's in front of you. A common joke among a lot of top coaches is the Secret Squirrel program. The Secret Squirrel program is, I do Ben Bergeron's program today, then I'm going to do Invictus tomorrow, and then, oh, my home box has this cool little workout. There's no system behind it. You're just picking the things that look the toughest or that you've seen other people do. This is why you have a coach. And as a coach, if you have athletes who are asking about other people's programming or they want to come and do open gym and do other people's programming, it's your job to show them that your business is coaching and not access. Okay, back to the myth that people choose a gym based on workout programming. People, when choosing a gym, will jump through certain hoops. The first hoop is, it's Friday night and I don't feel good about myself. I need to do something. The second hoop is, I need to do something now. I'm going to take action. The third hoop is, I'm going to choose exercise or a diet. Okay, Eight out of ten people choose the diet, by the way. The next hoop is, out of all my available options for exercise, I'm going to choose a CrossFit gym. Okay, that's a big one to overcome. After they choose a CrossFit gym, to do CrossFit, then they're going to choose a CrossFit gym. Okay, so out of all the options in their area, they're going to choose one. Their choice is mostly going to be made based on low barrier to entry. Now, this doesn't mean price. What it might mean is commitment. It might mean easy to make a decision because there's only a couple of options. It might just mean clarity. On my first day, I do this. But a novice person is not going to compare your workouts to their workouts. In fact, the vast majority of boxes don't have their workout or the WOD page as their landing page anymore because the majority of clients don't actually care. Here's the flip side. If your clients do start to care, if they start to question the value of farmer's walks to their weight loss goal, it's your job as a coach to tell them, to explain the why behind every workout, to show them how it's going to help them before they start questioning it. It's no secret that I use and love boxprogramming.com at my gym. And a few months ago, I did a bad job of explaining to my members how this was helping them with their particular goals. 
And so the word programming started coming up in my gym because they were asking the coaches and the coaches were saying, we use this programming. And now the clients are using the word programming and they're asking, what are the other options? So instead of being in front of them and showing them a clear path, do this because of this, I was confusing them by being vague and not showing them a clear path. And so they started asking their own questions. They were no longer being coached to the right answer. And that's my job. So as soon as I wrote an article called The Value of Farmer's Walks, everybody got right back on track again. And now, before this stuff comes up again, I'm going to keep publishing content telling them, here's why we're doing this, before they even ask. People will choose your gym because it's convenient. They'll choose it because it's got a low barrier to entry, like it looks friendly. There's not a social challenge to entering. They choose it because you're doing a challenge maybe instead of a long-term commitment. And they might choose it because of price. That's fine. I don't want the people who are going to choose it on price, but that's another issue. What they're not doing is taking notes over the last three months to say, these workouts look more appropriate for my goals than in other boxes. The fifth myth is that people in your town are scared of the word CrossFit. People in your town might have a predetermined misconception about CrossFit if the only media they've ever seen is highlights of the CrossFit games. Or maybe they've got a friend who does CrossFit, and so they're tagged in some CrossFit-y type posts. This, again, is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to create content highlighting the benefits of CrossFit, linking their problem to your solution. Here's how CrossFit can help you lose weight. It's not just showing off like, here's a person with a personal injury who can still do CrossFit, because that perception is still that CrossFit is super hard, and this person has overcome this problem on their own to be able to do CrossFit. This was proven to me over and over again when we ran the New You Challenge. We had 41 women sign up for the challenge. You can listen to that podcast episode uh, if you just Google Two Brain Podcast, Tommy Hackenbrook. The people who signed up for the New You Challenge in my city were people who had done CrossFit with me six or seven years ago. Some of them came in wearing nanos that they had purchased before they even signed up for the program. Some of them had done CrossFit at other boxes or even in other cities, but hadn't joined up with my box when they came into town. They saw the price on the video, which was way more than my average monthly payment. They saw the word CrossFit four times in the ad. So why were they signing up? It's not a fear of CrossFit. It's not a fear of the cash. The fear was commitment. They thought that they'd have to commit for a year because that's what all the other gyms in my town do. They didn't know that we have just a month-to-month recurring transaction without contracts. So they were attracted to the short-term six-week challenge nature. Now, I can go into great depth about the challenge mindset and how people are being groomed toward that by shows like Biggest Loser. But the point here is what we think is scaring people off is probably not what's really scaring people off. CrossFit doesn't carry the emotional weight for most people that we ascribe to it. We're super sensitive to all of these, you know, oh, people get hurt during doing CrossFit messages that we get on Facebook because we're paying attention to it. The fear is, again, projection. We see all these messages and we just assume that everybody else does too. To go a bit deeper into this one, if you're planning to de-affiliate because you think that CrossFit is turning people off, I think you should listen to the podcast episode, Should You De-Affiliate?, 
because the alternative is far, far worse. You're going from brand recognition to no brand recognition. Okay. The sixth myth is that average household income in your area is important. And so when people start talking about how they set their rates, they'll usually cite you know, looking at some kind of demographic info. Like, what does the average household make in my city? Here's why this is a myth. Average household income doesn't matter because you're selling a premium service. Your service should be covered mostly by the top 20% of earners in your town. Earners in town fall along a bell curve, meaning that 20% of people earn less than average, about 60% of people earn around the average salary, and 20% of people earn more than average. You are selling a premium product. An average fitness product is a gym membership. A premium fitness product is fitness coaching. You should be aiming your prices at that top 20%. Yes, that means that Grandma Smith might not be able to afford your service, and that's okay. You don't need everyone. You need 150 people who can pay what you need to be paid to have a successful business. That's it. The first slide I show at our seminars now is a satellite image from 10 years ago of my city, Sault Ste. Marie, and a satellite image from today. A third of the city is dark if you look at the night sky today compared to 10 years ago. And that's because the two major industries are bankrupt. Now, these people paid a pretty good wage. But though these jobs are gone, the professionals are still here. The dentists, the lawyers, most of the small business owners, the educators, all the people who earn more than $100,000 a year are still in town. And most of these people are my clients, nurses, doctors. They're all still around. There's plenty of people. I love talking to these people. I love people who can't afford my service either, but I can still be friends with them without having them as my clients. Now, I've got a bit of a new perspective on this too, because this week, a lady came into my gym and talked to my dietitian during a no sweat intro and said, my total fitness budget for the month is $100. That put things in perspective for me. So she was saying she was willing to spend $100 total on a gym membership, some coaching, and supplement advice. This was her assumption. So if somebody is, is willing to pay 100 bucks a month, and my average revenue per member is over $270 per month, can I still coach that person? The answer might be yes. And when I talk about the prescriptive model in my year in review at the end of December, I'll explain how that can possibly be so. How can I be someone's coach, maybe if they're not even at my gym? Or how can I offer a service that's valuable to this person, but still not at my normal rate? Well, obviously it has to be not my normal service, but we'll talk about that in my year in review. Stay tuned. The seventh myth is that people seek a low price point to start. Setting your price at intake is really important because of a psychological phenomenon we call price anchoring. If people start with a low price offer, what they're going to do is set their frame for value at that price. So let's say that my unlimited CrossFit membership is 150 bucks a month and that I have a $50 entry you can do on-ramp at my gym for 50 bucks, or you can uh, do the first two weeks for free, or you can do a free trial. What that does, because it's the person's first interaction with my brand, is it anchors the price to that $50, or worse, to $0. So first, they have to decide to spend 50 bucks. Now, to most people, $50 is enough that it requires some thought 
there's a bit of a transactional pain associated with it. And then what happens after that first week when they're required to pay the full amount? Completely different transaction, more emotional pain, more purchasing regret, okay? But what happens when they come in and they're required to pay more than the average? Well, they still get that first initial painful experience of paying more than I want to pay. But if the second transaction is less than the first, they don't get that same feeling again. This is from great research done at Carnegie Mellon by George Lowenstein. Let me give you an example of how price framing is used on you all the time. Let's say that you go buy a new car, and the car is $25,000. Now that is a painful transaction for most people, but people make that purchase thousands of times every day. And what comes next? Hey, sir, um, you know, winter's coming. It's November. Would you like to add snow tires for $800? Now, compared to $25,000, $800 is not a painful transaction because you've just gone through the bigger transaction. Compared to $25,000, $800 doesn't seem like a lot at all. Your price frame has anchored to $25,000, and so most people would buy the tires. This is how it works when you go to Best Buy and you buy a stereo and it's 1200 bucks, and they say, would you like some extra warranty protection for $90? The salesperson knows that most of the time, you'll choose the warranty protection not because of its own value, but because compared to $1,200 for the stereo, 90 bucks is not a lot of money. Your frame has been set for the price of that stereo. When someone starts at Catalyst, they start off with our on-ramp program, which is $200 or about 30% more than the price to continue in an unlimited CrossFit membership. We start with a high price and then work our way down so that we only have to deal with that buyer's remorse one time. It's the feeling of remorse that people are averse to, not the scale of that remorse. Myth number eight, gyms with 300 members are successful. I've been battling this myth now for almost a decade. What happened was, over a decade ago, there were some players in CrossFit who decided to try and introduce a martial arts model to the CrossFit community. Up to that point, nobody had discussed business practices at all. Nobody knew what the best practices would be. And so everybody was wide open to this suggestion that you should get 300 members paying an unlimited membership at a fairly low price. And that has stuck with us like a bad case of athlete's foot ever since. By the way, this model isn't necessarily successful in martial arts either. But in martial arts, it's a lot easier to put 40 people in one class because you don't have the space and equipment considerations. You should be aiming for 150 members, paying what you need to make to cover your costs, pay your coaches, and take home a, a good living. But the myth that I mentioned here is that gyms with 300 members are successful. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. Not necessarily. Even gyms with 300 members likely have underpriced themselves. They've got a lot of people. They have a really high churn rate. You know, if you've got a 10% retention rate on 300 members, that means you have to be recruiting 30 new people every month. The owners wind up spending so much time marketing. Now they're not even coaching. They're not even doing the thing that they got in this business to do. They have to focus on marketing all the time because their churn rate is so high. One top business consultant told me years ago that he didn't care if he lost 30 members a month because he was always getting 30 more. Now, 
five years later, is he still getting 30 more a month? I doubt it. And if he had focused on keeping those original 30, he'd have an amazing business right now. Churn rate goes up exponentially with the more people you have. It's not linear. So if I have 300 members, I might lose 30 a month. But if I have 150 members, I'm not going to lose 15 a month. And that's because I can forge a much better relationship with each one of those members. It's called Dunbar's number. So when you see a gym who has 300 members and you don't know anything about their books, don't assume the owner is making a better living than you are. Don't assume they're happier. Just assume that they have more members. Nothing else logically follows. Obviously, with more members comes more expenses, more coaching, more equipment, more space. Overhead can quickly eat up profit margin. So if you've got 300 members and a 10% profit margin, you're probably making less than somebody with 150 members and a 30% profit margin. All right, my last myth, number nine, was that sharing thoughts on the election is a great idea. The reason that I included this was because I wrote this post the day after the U.S. election, and everybody was talking about Trump or Hillary, except really successful entrepreneurs, because they know that not all of their clients share the same beliefs they do. They understand that these beliefs are best kept private, that when you're on Facebook, you become a public entity, and people don't discern the difference between you and your brand. So if you say, I hate president, or I hate the alternative, people will assume that your brand stands for the same thing. And if your brand's values don't align with theirs, you know what happens next, right? They're gone. Keep these things private. It's also really, really important to know to whom you're speaking on social media. So if you're trying to get the top 10, 20% of earners in your audience, you have to speak the way they do. I want you to ask yourself, last time you were at the dentist, how many F-bombs did they drop? Last time you went to your lawyer's office, how many spelling mistakes did they make? What kind of stuff are they posting on social media? Are they talking about the election? Are they talking about religion on Facebook? Or are they saving that for church? Use your best clients as models. Emulate their behavior. Tony Robbins is huge with this. And he talks about this in uh, empathetic listening and mirroring techniques. When you're sitting with somebody, if you want to see how much empathy or what kind of connection you have with them, mirror the way they're sitting. Sit exactly the same way. If they're slouched, you slouch. If they cross their leg, you cross their leg. Mirror their posture and their behavior. Then change something about your posture and see if they mirror you. Now let's move this back okay, to a, a bigger anthropological level. Let's zoom out. The same behaviors hold true on a different scope. If you're highly educated, you hang out with people who are highly educated. If you don't use the F-bomb all the time, you probably don't hang around with people who do, or not for very long. These things are not conscious judgments. We just prefer to be around people like us. It's that tribal instinct to conform. If you want to attract English speakers to your business, don't write your signs in French. These are the top nine myths that I've seen this year. My dream for 2017 would be to see these myths go away. I know they're not going to. And that's why we're going to focus our energy only on the tip of the spear, the top 4% of gyms out there, CrossFit or not. I think the best way to change this industry, to get people to a million dollars in profit, 
is to take the tip of the spear, make them incredibly profitable with the two-brain model, and then let them teach everyone else. As Greg once told me, talk to the smart kids, and they'll tell everyone else. That's it for this week. It's a 30-minute episode. I'll be back in the next few weeks with some of these top gym owners talking about their best practices, what they're doing completely different from everybody else, and how they're modeling success. Thanks for listening.